Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. All right. And we're going to dive right in because we, we have no time to waste. Part two, no Holy Spirit. So just to tell our listeners where we're going, we're actually going to wrap up part two today because that's how it works. You start part two, you wrap it up, and then we're going to try uh-huh. to wrap up the series the following week with an interview with Sister Marie Fidelis from the Disciples of Our Lord Jesus Christ based out of Amarillo, Texas. And they're a charismatic order of nuns. Um, my wife actually was roommates with Sister Marie Fidelis in her past life, you know, all of that. And just, I think she would give good context to kind of this whole topic and not controversy, but like people's emotions more with what we were talking about with the Holy Spirit and kind of the charismatic movement of mm-hmm. it. And do I have to believe in that? What, do, you know, what's my relationship with that? So just to kind of give our listeners a little bit of what we're doing. And so today we're going to talk about a little bit of significance in scripture that we hear about the Holy Spirit from the Bible guy. And then just also at the end, what can you do if you don't have a relationship to start one with the Holy Spirit? And if you have one, maybe how can you go a little bit deeper? Sound good? Sounds great. And also, I just wanted to give the reference from last time in the catechism, 694 through 701 give the symbols of the spirit, which are water, anointing, fire, cloud, and light, Mm -hmm. the seal um, of the Holy Spirit, the hand, the finger, and the dove. It's kind of funny to say the finger. It is kind of funny. You think middle finger, but then... I didn't think middle finger. It must be a jersey thing. Uh, Yeah, right, liar. Okay, You know that's not a thing in Europe? Like, middle finger? Uh-uh. Isn't it like the pinky? Uh, it's probably different for different regions and cultures <laughs> and stuff. But like, like I had teachers that would just like point to the board with their middle finger. Um, and it wasn't at the Gregorian University, the Pontifical Gregorian and the Pontifical Biblical Institute. Um, and like, it wasn't like, oh, haha, I'm really, you know, making this rude sign to all of you guys. Um, it was just they wanted to point with that finger, which I think is kind of uncomfortable. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, there you go. Well, this this is how we're diving Great into start. the Holy Spirit. <laughs> diving right. In. <laughs> okay, well, let's dive into some scriptural roots of the yeah. Holy Spirit. Okay, so where do you want to start? Um, given our listeners, we're going to hit things. Not going to be able to dive in because uh, that would that would be like. Uh, just I want to start with the the catechism. What'd you say, six ninety four to seven oh one? Um, like sometimes it can just be really good to read carefully through a section of the catechism. Uh, I think I've told a story here before about doing that with the section on the Eucharist and having it be one of those moments that just like knocked me over and transformed my faith, and that I will sort of forever back to as a mm-hmm. a monument. Um, Catechism can, is extraordinarily rich and um, is extraordinary, extraordinarily rich with scriptural passages. So if you want like a follow-up to this um, where you can just go deeper into what the church, like the synthesis we make of all these passages, go to the catechism, 694 to 701. Well, and that was just about the titles, but the part of the Holy Spirit altogether is 687, and so... 
we're not talking pages. We're talking paragraphs. Yeah, paragraphs. 687 through 747. 687, 747. 747, Boeing. All yep. Right. All right. Diving right in. Dive in. So um, when I think of scriptural passages that have to do with the Holy Spirit, I think especially of New Testament stuff, but I do want to hit some Old Testament afterwards. Um, like Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, starts talking about this advocate that he's going to send. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in the Last Supper discourses that he particularly starts to do this. He does reference the Spirit earlier on, talking to like Nicodemus, and uh, you have to be born by water and the Spirit and these kind of things. Um, and so, I mean, the whole water imagery throughout the Gospel of John is actually symbolic of the coming of the Holy Spirit right? Um, and the way the Holy Spirit works through water in baptism to sanctify us and claim us as God's own and adopt us into his family. Um, But then Jesus starts to get more explicit about what he's talking about, uh, especially in these, this, this long series of discourses in like chapters 12 through 17, 18. Mm. And John, um, he talks more specifically. Uh, He says, a little while and you will not see me and a little while you will again see me. Um, truly I say to you, if you ask anything, anything of the father, he will give it to you in my name until you've asked nothing in my name. That sounds very confusing. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. And after that, he starts to, to promise that he's going to send like the spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Mm. Um, he will glorify me. He'll take what is mine, declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. So this is this is a really important passage where Jesus is saying that like like it's okay that I go. In fact, it's better, better that I go. That I go. Yeah. Which doesn't really make sense to us. The be- Messiah right. would go. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. You stay. I'll, I'll go. <laughs> you stay. <laughs> like uh you gotta stay here. Don't leave. Um and he's saying, It's better that I am not here physically, because then I can send you the Holy Spirit who somehow is better than me being here, right? Mm-hmm. That's a really big deal. right? Um, and so you get those passages. There's a whole bunch of it sort of in the Gospel of John, that place. Um, and at the end of the Gospels, um, also end of the Gospel of John, let me just uh, get there real quick. Um, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit um, to his apostles after his resurrection. So this is on the evening of the resurrection day mm. of Easter Sunday in the evening. It says, the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And so the disciples were glad. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. So it's this connection with mission and what happens there. When he says this, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Why does he breathe on them? Well, the the word spirit um, has a connection with breath. Ruach in Hebrew. Ruach Ruach (laughs) in Hebrew. Uh, uh, Haruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Um, The word spirit in Hebrew means wind or breath or spirit. Um, the word pneuma in Greek is a little more specific, but 
can have kind of some of that stuff going on too. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a principle of life and an interior principle of movement in life. Um, and so when Jesus, but but if you think back to Genesis, to the very beginning of the, the Bible, the creation of man in Genesis, God breathes upon this stuff he has formed out of mud and breathes life into it. Um, and so man becomes a living being through that. Jesus, in breathing on his apostles, and so breathing the Holy Spirit into them, is recreating them. Uh, just as we talked about last time with like gear shifting. Like, you, you say recreating. Well, they're already alive. <laughs> what else is there to create? He's renewing them and galvanizing them and transforming them. Uh, to be on this mission. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Uh, We see a lot more kind of passages like that um, in early Acts of the Apostles, Mm -hmm. in Acts 1-8, which you mentioned last time, um, where Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and he talks about how the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he uses the word power there, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. The power of the Holy Spirit will come down upon you. Yeah, dunamis in Greek, um, like a dynamism. Um, <laughs> boom. <laughs> so and and then the apostles, after Jesus does ascend into heaven, he says he says, "Don't leave, <laughs> mm. right? I'm gonna go, but you stay, and it will be better. I promise you." Um, and they dedicate themselves to prayer mm. together with Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? Spouse uh, of the Spirit, spouse of the Holy Spirit. And there's this beautiful window. I went to. I had a very long layover in Miami one time um, on my way back to Bermuda. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to sit in here for seven hours in the airport. And um, so I went out into the city and walked around and got some like good Cuban food and stuff. And and then I also went into a church and there's this Jesuit church in Miami and I forget what it's called. Um, Might just be called something like the Jesu. (laughs) Um, But... Uh, like like the one in Rome, mm-hmm. but it had the most beautiful stained glass windows. And one of them, I distinctly remember. I took pictures of all of them, which I don't normally do when I go into churches. Um, but <laughs> yeah, you don't strike me as the type of that. <laughs> yeah the guy. Ooh, yeah. Um, but I did take pictures of the stained glass windows, and this was years and years ago. But it still sticks with me, like like seeing that image of the apostles, like praying, gathered around with Mary in the center. Um, and waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when you count up the days from the Ascension until Pentecost, you get nine days, which means that this is the first novena of prayer, mm. right? Preparing themselves for nine days. That's what a novena is for this big thing that's going to happen. The Holy mm. Spirit comes upon them. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they act like they are drunk. Like they are so full of this uncontrollable joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're speaking in such a way that those around them can understand, Mm -hmm. which nobody, which just doesn't make sense what's going on. And you're talking language-wise, right? Language-wise, yeah. Because there was many different, yeah, go into that a little bit. Yeah, so so like there were, and I can pull up the passage, but like Parthians and Medes and Elamites and other Cyprians, Mm-hmm. Um, Greeks, uh, Syrians, like there were people from 
all different parts of the world that is sort of gathered there, uh, perhaps because they heard this mighty roar mm. um, of the the great wind that mm-hmm. came upon the upper room with the apostles in there. Right. Um, and when the apostles came out of that room, transformed, they were so full of joy that people thought they were drunk, but the stuff they were saying, everyone around them could understand in their own language. Um, and so is this, this Which miracle of this, <laughs> yeah, is this, and like, those are completely different language groups too. So it's not just like, oh, they were all speaking Italian, but we're, but some of us speak Spanish and so we can kind of get it. And those who speak Portuguese kind of get it too. Like and, distinct to their dialect. Oh well, yeah. They were hearing it in their own dialect. And also like some of them were Greek speakers and some of them were Semitic language speakers like Hebrew and Aramaic. Those are completely different language families. Mm-hmm. The Semitic languages are not part of the Indo-European language right. family. So like at the root, they're very different. Um, there's no, there's like one sort of cognate. Uh, I think it's the word sack. <laughs> um, that means the same thing mm-hmm. and sounds like what it means in both languages. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that there's loan words and stuff, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but like those languages don't have contact early on. They don't share a vocabulary. Yeah. And so even from a linguistic perspective, it's fascinating. And it's it's a reversal of Babel, mm-hmm. right? The Tower of Babel in Genesis, I forget which chapter, it's something like 10 or 9 or something like that. Um, like there you have this this symbol of of man's pride. Uh, through technological progress, um, hmm. creating a place where they do not need God, um, right? That that's what that tower is a symbol of, yeah. and uh, it doesn't lead to a greater unity. In fact, <laughs> it it leads to like an enormous division, hmm. where all of a sudden, sort of the unified language of the world, and as as Genesis pre- presents it, sort of scatters into all these other languages and right um and so sort of tribalism uh even through language comes about but so this is a reversal of that it's a it's a new creation yes yeah. of a new society which is the church right uh this is the birth of the church um which is consistent the, of yeah. how god works right like a new adam jesus right. a new eve mary like the new church like yeah he's it's called recapitulation. He is re, uh, so caput in Latin means head. So he's going back to the head of everything um, in this recreation. He's not just like saying, all right, I'm renewing all things, but actually like going down to the root and and changing them. Yep. So that's happening here. And this is fulfilling all that stuff in the Old Testament, all these promises that God was giving, especially in the prophets, mm. um, where you have like, Ezekiel 34 is one of the the major ones mm-hmm. um, about the dry bones. The dry bones. The valley of the dry bones. He goes out and he looks over them and he's told, prophesy. And so he does. And I think the first step is that the bones sort of collect themselves. And then he's told again, prophesy over these bones. Speak over these bones. And then like they take on flesh. And mm-hmm. I don't remember if there was a third one. I'm not going to be able to look it up fast enough, but... Well, actually, I will because it's just a few. Ezekiel thirty-four. Entertain yourselves. And it's, yeah, it's not, it's not going. So, so forget <laughs> it. Um, 
So that's a very powerful passage. Yeah. Uh, it links up just thematically very well with uh, Jeremiah um, 32. I don't remember exactly. It, it, it's like the, the chapter and the verse are very similar to each other in that one. But yeah. the, the promise of the new covenant, which will be written on um, hearts mm-hmm. instead of on stone. Stone. Um, and so, like, you, you have these you have these various prophecies of how God is going to be with his people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, prophecies in Isaiah, like Isaiah 25, um, of how God will dwell with his people. Right. Um, and those are taken up in the book of Revelation and... Uh, like it becomes very clear that that the body of Christ is the new temple, the new dwelling place of God. The reason that uh, the the image of a cloud um, was an image of the Holy Spirit was because in the with the tabernacle uh, of old um, in the Pentateuch, when God comes to dwell upon the tabernacle, the cloud of His glory. Mm manifest his presence there um and it was so thick that people couldn't even go into it. it's just moses and moses would come out with his face shining and just transformed mm-hmm. same thing happens when the temple is built that cloud of glory the shekinah descends upon the temple as a sign of god's presence and um, is there significance there too with that similar cl- cloud and experience at jesus's baptism exactly yeah so that manifests that you know that this is not just look like son of God. Um, that sounds to us pretty clear what that means, but that was a messianic title. It doesn't necessarily mean like actually the divine son of God. Mm-hmm. And so that cloud of glory that descends upon Jesus at his baptism is a sign of his divinity that God is dwelling within him. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the gospel of John in the prologue in John chapter one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek literally says eskenosen, that he tabernacled among us. Mm. Um, that it's as if his humanity is a tabernacle or a temple in which the spirit of God now dwells. Mm. Um, and that that is like through our baptism, we're incorporated into that reality. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. So this like if you're just doing sort of a word search for Holy Spirit and stuff like that throughout the Bible, like you're gonna get a lot. Yeah, you'll you'll get a lot, but it might seem kind of scattered. But when you start seeing the the unity that runs through it, that it is the the Holy Spirit who is the principle of life, the principle of recreation, and the principle of movement, of mission, mm-hmm. of sending us out, that we are tabernacles of the Holy Spirit, but that there's something like St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that the the power of Christ impels me mm. to go out. There's this fire burning in our bones, like Jeremiah says. Right. Um, and then the Galatians 4, 6, right? Because uh, you are sons of God, he sent his spirit uh, into yeah, his yeah. son and our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Right. Gives us the ability, <laughs> um, yeah, as sons and daughters of God to cry out, um, saying, Abba. Um Romans 8 is another very powerful chapter on the work and uh, and just the love of the Holy Spirit that is poured into us. I think that's the phrase he uses. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And you got Romans 5, too, with the, like, hope that does not disappoint, right? For God send us, you know, like, yes. because hope yes, yes. does not disappoint, that one. Yeah. Um, Leading up to Romans 6, which talks about baptism. So you right. see the connection there. Um, all of Acts. Yeah, all of Acts. <laughs> like, really, at, and I guess as far as, like, Bible guy stuff goes, like, yeah. maybe just one more point to link it together with liturgy. Like, confirmation is par excellence, the sacrament of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked before about its connection with baptism and uh, that like there's something good to having both of them sort of together in the same moment. So you see like reception and perfection, but mm. even in their sort of separate separate and distinct states as two different sacraments, you you kind of have this, this kind of gear shift <laughs> again, like right. uh, reality that receiving the Holy Spirit at our baptism does not preclude us from being filled with the fullness of God and the power of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. um, in these these key moments. Uh, sometimes they happen in private prayer, and sometimes they happen liturgically when we're disposed to it. Right. Now, there's a very, you, you might you might immediately come back. I don't want to go down the confirmation rabbit hole too much, but you might come back and be like, well, I don't see that. Like, like last in our last episode of this, you described seeing a whole room transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit mm. while y'all were in prayer. Like, when's the last time you've been to a confirmation and you've seen that? Isn't that supposed to happen? And right. it shows us that, like, the sacraments, they work, but we're not always ready to receive that. And so they're, it, it's kind of like receiving this this thing, this present, this gift, yeah. that you have to unwrap it. Yeah. Um, and for those who are who are disposed to receive that gift, right? If you think like early church, those who are preparing for baptism and for confirmation as adults, and they are like ready to receive this this gift, and they've already been prepared by the grace of faith, right? Um, that they receive it and it lights them on fire, right? Um, but when we receive it sort of mechanically or with kind of, I don't know being bound by by low expectations for what God has of us, right? right? That that's a real barrier actually. This this belief that like even even a tacit belief mm-hmm. that God doesn't really have big plans for me or that he can't make use of me in some way or that what that looks like, you know, is is just this kind of small thing. Mm-hmm. Um that that can actually really hold us back, yeah, from receiving that gift fully, right? Um, so, uh, so like we ought to pray for our kids who are being confirmed, yeah, um, so that they are disposed to receive that gift and to make use of it, because, mm-hmm. like, just the the impact on the church <laughs> as a whole, the impact on on the parents who are there mm-hmm. in seeing a, a visible transformation of their kids. Right. receiving the sacrament like that starts to get to like acts of the apostles stuff yeah um where where god is confirming his presence by power and by signs among us right um so yeah i don't know that's there's, there's a lot in the bible yeah yeah there's a, a long, lot but that's a, a good that, that's a good <laughs> did you know bible actually means <laughs> library um anyway so um Let's jump into two little things before we finish up. One is 
I'm going to hit on. You don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You've heard this and you're like, man, I really have never prayed to the Holy Spirit. I've never utilized the Holy Spirit. I never thought of the Holy Spirit besides when I make the sign of the cross, you know, and said those words. Um, I encourage you to just pray those three words, come Holy Spirit. I don't want you to go any deeper than that, but just in your prayer, literally making the sign of cross, opening your hands and in your lap and just saying, come Holy Spirit and just repeat that and ask the Holy Spirit to be with you. I think that is the easiest, simplest way to start a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And from there, you know, say you're like, okay, I'm past that, which I don't know if everybody is. I still on my toughest days when I have nothing left and I'm drained and it's been a rough day at work. Surprisingly, you have rough days at the church. We've been <laughs> working here and kids are going crazy and all of that. Sometimes I just sit before the cross and I say, come Holy Spirit, come into my life, come into my heart, set me on fire for you, you know, um, to remind me what he really, I feel like anointed and commissioned me to do, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, and so, yeah. I, I pray that before every homily I preach. As I'm walking from the chair to wherever I'm going to preach from, that's what I'm praying. I should pray it a lot more. I remember some other times, right. but specifically then, um, that's the prayer I'm praying. And I think it shows us sometimes, as Catholics especially, I think we say, oh, well, the the longer prayer or the more, you know, I don't know eloquent, like well, whatever word you want to use, like it's simple, three words. And I think in that simplicity, there is beauty and grace in that moment. So um, I just want to encourage somebody you don't have a relationship, you've never done it, pray those words. You want to go deeper, I think there are resources. You've mentioned it before. Sober intoxication of the spirit. Yep. Father um, Cantala Mesa. Yep. Um, cardinal, you have cardinal Cantala Mesa. Is he cardinal? Yeah. yeah, he was made a cardinal in like gosh. the last couple months. Oh my gosh. I apologize, Cardinal. Cardinal. I, I know he's listening. I mean, so. <laughs> um, I would recommend if you're interested, which could be a whole nother episode, maybe we'll do in the future or talk with sister of the charismatic gifts. There's a lot of good books on that mm. and breaking open in the scriptural background of them. There's one called the spiritual gifts handbook by um, Dr. Mary Healy. Um, I'm sure you got something from Brent Petrie or something like that. Go ahead. What, what else do you got? Uh, I'm trying to think of the names. I've read a bunch of them now because like, I mean, this, this would lead us into another episode, but, uh, y'all know that my background is not charismatic movement. Uh, but being here at St. Anne, I've had to encounter it. And the way that I like to work my way through new things is to (laughs) read books about it. And so searching for like intellectually, how can I reconcile this with where I'm coming from? Um, uh, read a bunch of books. I, I read that one that you're talking about. I have another one that someone recommended to me, but I don't know the title offhand because I haven't okay. started reading it. Um, uh, the Cantula Mesa books are very good. I don't know if there's a Brant Petrie one on <laughs> that specifically. Read this book. It's called Sin and it's a black cover. <laughs> and it's yes. just That's a great book. <laughs> um, yeah, the 
the most helpful synthesis I found of this are in the different writings of Cantola Mesa. Yeah. Um, uh, Sober Intoxication of the Spirit is a, is a very good one, but he has other ones as well. Yeah. And just the way he talks about it, it's like, yep, this may, and he does talk about the gifts actually in, uh, come creator spirit. I think that's another one of his books. Mm. Um, Come Creator Spirit. It's a it's a meditation on the Veni Creator Spiritus, which is this ancient hymn, medieval hymn, um, which is where I always get them confused. Yeah, that's that's where you get the the line about the Digitus Dei, mm-hmm. Veni Creator Spiritus. That's that's how it, it goes. It's a, a very if you've ever heard it before, it's a very striking tune, and mm-hmm. and you always sing that at ordinations. Um, and at like certain, certain really big events, I think like you could sing that at the beginning of a confirmation, it would be very appropriate. Right. Um, where you're just, you're calling upon the Holy spirit as, as creator and recreator, this principle of, of recreation, right? right. We know father, you know, the father's role is, is sort of creator originator, but the spirit as the finger of God through whom he recreates things. Yep. Um, yeah, so that book, Veni Creator Spiritus, does talk about the the gifts quite a lot, and I thought gave a really just helpful sort of biblical context and understanding of how it relates to kind of the greater tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you are like, I do, I have prayed to the Holy Spirit, I do seek that relationship, you're not at a beginner level of it, go back and try to look and articulate and journal about where have you seen the Holy Spirit distinctly work in your life? Like, where have you felt that prompting? Mm, where have yeah. you seen it? Because it helps articulate how the Spirit works in your life, and then you can be more open to it and receptive at other times in the future. Like, like, like just like I was saying last episode, I've had many moments of sort of transformative experience of the grace of God in my life. Uh, several of them have happened in the context of adoration. I wouldn't have necessarily describe them to other people as moments of encounter with the Holy Spirit. But looking back, like that's what it was. And so that's exactly what Joe was saying is I I don't particularly like journaling, but I do think it's helpful. Um, And I think that's that's probably a lot of people like you've, it's been very helpful for you though. I Mm -hmm. know that. Yeah. Um, And so that, that, that kind of reflection on our experience in the spiritual life, even if we don't feel like we have any. Yeah. Um, that's what trains us to be attentive to the way God moves um, uh, in the present and in the future when it comes. Um, I got an idea for you. Yeah. For your t- the penance you give out. So that's mm-hmm. where it came from at Franciscan, and I might have shared it. I had a I had a confession, which I thought was just like, oh, these were little sins, yada yada. <laughs> And the priest is like, you really need to focus on this, eradicate this from your life. I want you to journal for 30 days each day. And I was like, wait, what are we talking about here? (laughs) And that was before I knew you could also ask for a different one. So good thing I didn't. I might have asked, but keep that in your back pocket. Maybe you give uh, maybe you give journaling and reflecting upon uh, what God has done in their life as a penance. I mean, how about this? Let me as a penance right now, rather as a preparation preparation just say we're getting kind of close to pentecost maybe take this time and 
make a habit of journaling just in this time, Mm -hmm. right? You're not committing to it for the rest of your life. You don't have to find the perfect book, right? Like it's only a couple weeks. I don't actually know how far away it is. Uh, May 23rd. Yeah. May 23rd. Um, so what would be like the eighth week of Easter? Right. So it's, uh, it's not that far away. Um, and this might be a really helpful way for you to prepare it. So I am commanding you as your penance. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm nice. encouraging you as a inviting you. Great. To this. All right. Let's stop holding our people hostage. Let's, <laughs> let's let, let them go. Hey, we did it. Two parts. We did it. We actually did. We, we, we stuck did it. to it, people. Yeah. Take that, all our naysayers. Yeah, all the haters. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Joey Scansella, Father uh, Paul Bechter, take Whatever care. Whatever my name is, God bless. <laughs> Come Holy Spirit. <laughs>